Hey guys, I'm here with Renee from DB Electronics. We're up here at Kappa Casa Cap. We're in Canada. What's up, Renee? How you doing? I'm doing well. And thank you? you for uh, thank you for inviting me into your home way up here in the North Pole and uh, let me drink your beer and all that. <laughs> You're welcome. So uh, we'll show footage of your lab. I know I like doing these things where it's the view behind you know behind the camera, uh, but you have what I would describe as a perfectly set up L-shaped nerd nerd lab. Where uh, if you're working alone, you could choose with a standing desk, a sitting desk, you could turn around and have everything you want right there, which makes for an excellent working environment and a terrible video shooting environment. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we're going to do it out here. Uh, we'll give, of course, the tour and you know show everything else. But uh, it's very cool to be here, and I'm very jealous that I'm in a place where you have so much more space than I do. <laughs> this is Canada. There's nothing but space. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess... How far up are we for people that uh, aren't too lazy to get out Google Maps? So we're, we're about 850 kilometers north uh, of Toronto. Okay. On Highway 11. There are no more highways north of this. Like, like I told you earlier, right? If you're looking at the forest out here, mm -hmm. that's the forest that goes all the way up till and there's no more forest. Right? So you said uh, from the view of your backyard, you could sort of kind of see one more street, right? Yeah. And then sort of kind of. We'll show footage of that too. And then nothing. And then nothing but forest until forest no longer exists, until you hit tundra. The North Pole. That's incredible and awesome. If you look out my window, at least now, I used to have a view of the crazy word of Mount Sinai Hospital. Now you could see buildings, not just windows and people strapped to beds and stuff. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, quite a quite a juxtaposition from what I'm used to. But um, so uh, we're here. Uh, it's uh, not the first time we've met in person, but uh, it's the first time at your house, and it's very cool. Um, uh, I don't even. It's hard to. It's hard to interview your friends because we talk all the time. But like, uh, it's like, what will we talk about? What have we not talked about? What have we not talked about? What do you want to talk about again? Well, I guess let's just start out by uh, you know, kind of talking about what your lab is like. We'll show footage, so I know we can't walk through it right now. But um, what's your setup like here, and uh, why do you have it set up the way you do? Well, so you talked about the L-shaped room. Obviously, I have no control over that, but it's, uh, it works perfectly, like you said, because everything's always in arm's reach. I basically have three stations in there, which is, like, the first one is a sit-down soldering station. And that's where all the parts are, mostly. Mm -hmm. um, everything's kind of within arm's reach. And then I have two other stations in the back, which are, which are uh, 180 degrees out, out, out of phase. Fuck, I'm a nerd. And... Uh, <laughs> One of them, standing station. Yeah, yeah. One of them's a well. They're both standing stations. One of them is like a computer where I, I'll do programming and, and troubleshooting, mm -hmm. and um, like looking at schematics or whatnot. And then the other one is kind of like the, the heavy, the power tools section where I'll, where I'll do dirty work, uh, sanding, drilling, grinding, whatnot. Yeah, I see you have a plethora of tools and parts and supplies here. Yeah, it's not only an electronics workshop, right? I do a lot of, uh, of uh, handiwork, a lot of carpentry work around the home too. So there's much more than just electronics tools. There's, you know, lots of power tools and drills and saws and mm -hmm. hammers and sawzalls and whatnot. And 
I'm gonna do some more renovations around the home soon too. If you came a few weeks later, it would have been like a huge mess up there, but. <laughs> Good timing. I see you have your like uh, mining helmet magnifying glass thing with the light on the front, which I imagine is helpful, but looks really funny when you're wearing it. I love that tool. It cost me 10 bucks at Tool Town, mm -hmm. and it's you know one of the tools I use most often. Really? Yeah. So it's, uh, I mean, essentially you're, you're using it for its magnification, so that way you don't have to buy a microscope, you could just start out with that. So. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, I used to do soldering in a microscope at work in, in Ottawa, and I thought, I don't think you get like a, a full visual range, you only, like, only get this tiny spot where you see well, whereas with that headset, you can, you know, there's different eyepieces and you can choose how, how you're going to see and you can move your head around and it's just, it's, it's more freedom. Yeah, and if nothing else, it's a good stepping stone. You know, buying that for, I'm assuming you can get them new for under 50 bucks. Like, starting with that and then going to the $500 microscope might be a, a good a good jumping off point from those little alien looking things with the magnifying glass on top. Yeah, yeah. Those are helpful, you know, the little clip hands and everything, but I think that's probably a better step for people who are looking to get into it. And, and the other thing with that is, um, I'm not sure what the magnification is on just the, the regular uh, eyepiece, but I don't need that much magnification. I'm pretty, you know, well versed with, you know, 0603. Um, so, you know, it's just a tiny bit of magnification. That's all I need really. A microscope is like, is total overkill for that. So. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a huge help for I mean, I don't I have a hard time calling myself anything other than just a beginner. I think I'm like one step over, but not much more. So any any help I get uh, is a lot of help, and I think I would recommend that for a lot of people who are starting out. And I think my other issue is I don't consistently solder. I'm not soldering three times a week. It's whenever, yeah. just whenever I need to get something done. And just like everything else in life, sometimes you're in the mood, sometimes you're not. So when I'm all happy to be soldering, it's kind of neat, but uh, sometimes I just like, give me a freaking microscope or, or some kind of magnification when we get this crap done and then do what I need to do, so. Yeah, I have a small USB scope that I, that I will use to inspect when something's not working, but I, you know, I maybe take that out a couple of times a year. I like that for pictures and stuff. Um, I'm gonna be incorporating that in a few upcoming videos too. That's, That's pretty cool. neat. So, because I didn't, uh, this whole time I've been trying to find uh, great tools uh, to, to for multi-use. So I started looking into macro lenses for the cameras, and then I realized those are gonna be hundreds of dollars. Where I, for 20 bucks, I get a USB microscope. I'm like, there we go. So we'll see. That's probably good. Um, so, do you, did you do a lot of your assembly here for some of the parts that you used to sell? Yeah, up until, well, maybe a year ago, I did all of the assembly here. I would order, oh, wow. yeah, I would order a stencil with the PCBs, mm -hmm. and I'd do the solder paste thing, and I'd reflow them on a, like a breakfast griddle. Mm -hmm. I did all of that here. Then, you know, two two reasons why I wanted to move away from that. Number one, the smell was just completely horrendous. I tried filtration and as much as I could, but it, uh, especially in the winter months, we can't just vent outside here because right. we freeze to death. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is it was taking up way too much of my time. Yeah. So uh, I guess let's back up then. Um, for people that aren't fully familiar with your work and everything, uh, you've made a bunch of really cool products. You've open sourced a lot of them, just totally given them away for free for the community to do with what they choose. Uh, what was the very first thing that uh, retro gaming related that you came up with? The very first thing I did was the Powerbase Mini, which okay. is the um, like essentially the Powerbase converter which allows you to play Master System games on Genesis. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do it with the intent of marketing a product and selling it and making money. I did it because I wanted to play Master System. I didn't have this huge setup 
mm-hmm. uh, well, it's going on six years ago. And so I hopped on eBay and I looked at a PowerBase converter and it was more money than I wanted to pay for it. And I said, well, if I, you know, if I order a bunch of connectors and 10 PCBs and a few push buttons, it's gonna cost me less than one PowerBase converter. So I'm gonna design a PCB and I'll sell the nine others on eBay. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll make my money like that. So I'll get a free PowerBase converter. But then uh, when I put up the auction on eBay, within a couple of hours, they sold out completely. And I was like, well, I think there's something here. So you know, I, kept, I kept going from there. That's that, how it started. That's your very first. And then uh, when did you realize uh, how cool it would be to add the FM chip onto that? Were you a few other products deep or was that just something you put on right away? No, that was the third. That was my third product. I did the, the Sega CD backup RAM cart after that. Oh, yeah, you got one laying around here, too, I think. Well, I have a, yeah, I have an empty shell for it right next to you oh, yeah. under the uh, Mega EverDrive. Empty shell of the Ultra CD backup. Yeah, yeah that's very handy because the, um, the official Sega ones were um, really expensive and harder to come by. And I don't... How did those work? Those still have a battery in them, right? Yeah, it's battery-backed SRAM. So, I mean, at some point that battery is going to die. Yeah, um, Azure's battery backed up as well. So it's this, yeah, it's the same kind of design. It's brand new. Yeah, yeah, and you can't. I mean, you could if you hack the BIOS of the Sega CD, you could theoretically put Flash in there, but that's more effort than I'm than anybody's willing to put for Sega CD backup. So yeah, yeah, especially because you could do things like save your save off your RAM to a flash cart and as a file and stuff like that. Yeah. It's probably just easier overall. It's not worth the effort. But but going back to your question, so the FM, so that was the third product I did after the mm-hmm. backup RAM cart. Uh, I didn't know there was FM on Master System. I'm not this huge retro gaming expert, right? I had no idea that this existed. So I stumbled on Tim Worthington's website mm-hmm. and I found out, you know, this guy makes a mod for the second Master System. I said, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, so I, I bought the mod, I installed it, and you know, I was blown away by the difference of the sound it makes. And then I started investigating, well, is it possible to, to be able to add this on Genesis, right? Mm-hmm. So a bit of oscilloscope probing, I said, oh yeah, it is possible. So, you know, designed the PCB and three iterations later, it was working. So. Very cool. And I think that's, that is pretty much how we met as I stumbled across your PowerBase FM and I was just like, this thing's cool. I really want one of these. It could just use a 3D adapter. <laughs> <laughs> Which I still haven't done. No, that was about four years ago. Something like that? No. Three years ago? Maybe three. Yeah, <laughs> three. Yeah, I saw that, and the only thing I could think of is, you know, the only thing this is missing is the 3D adapter, because um, not all of the 3D games are good, but people that haven't experienced those, you know, you get a very good C- uh, CRT, it's it's totally different. Some people hate it, some people get dizzy with the flickering, Yeah. I, I really liked it, I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was a pretty good experience. Um, Maze Hunter. Uh, or Maze Walker in Japan. I thought that was great because they actually used the depth of field on the different platforms that you walk around and it's FM audio uh, capable. So I just wanted you to throw in a 3.5 millimeter jack so you could plug in those things. And then you came up with the idea of uh, using the newer modern 3D glasses. Yeah. And that's where it's at. <laughs> I, I do, and I'm, I mean, there is a PCB file on my computer that's intended for that mm-hmm. i do want to build it and you know i've rid myself of a lot of you know assembly work and testing work lately so i do want to get back into into more design because for people who have been following me uh, i haven't actually released any meaningful pcb designs in the last year or so so i am falling behind because because of all the assembly work that i was trying to get rid of which i finally have mm-hmm. so i think in the coming months uh towards the fall 
I'll be able to dedicate a lot more time to, to newer projects, hopefully open source as well. So. Very cool. So, um, what other projects have you have you really? Uh, I guess your signature projects. Now, of course, you have the DB Graphics Booster. Uh, so, you want to just quickly go through that? Um, uh, yeah. So, the Graphics Booster was a um, like a video add-on for uh, Turbo Graphics 16 and PC Engine. Um, essentially, those consoles only output RF unless you have a um, what's that Japanese one? IFU module? No. Um, Turbo Booster. <laughs> No, no, no. There's one Japanese variant that oh. has the AV on it. Oh yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not an expert on those. No. Anyway, I have one sitting right there. <laughs> but so you can't get any better than composite, mm -hmm. essentially, right? So, and and luckily NEC was kind enough to give us engineers all of the signals on the EXT port back there, so you can essentially do as you please with the Turbo Graphics. So it's a rather simple project. And my first iteration is I, I just did an RGB and the stereo audio out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I posted about it on Sega 16, went back when I thought forums were cool, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I said, hey, look at look at what I made, right? It's a it's a modless RGB for Turbo Graphics, and you know, within a few minutes, Joe Redifer posted and he said, that's awesome. Where's S Video? And I said, oh, okay, now I gotta start over again because I want S Video too. So that's when I decided to use the Sony CXA chip, so it remodulates, mm -hmm. uh, reencodes, sorry, S Video and composite. So, that's where so as opposed to a lot of the different PC Engine uh, amps out there, it doesn't just uh, reamplify the RGB signal, it takes it and splits it off to S-Video and Composite by itself. That's right, yeah. So I have, I have both things on there. I have the original Composite from the, the NEC chips and the re-encoded Composite from my Sony chip. Oh, my Sony, the Sony chip. Which one is which? The RCJA jack is the Sony chip, and through yeah. the Genesis connector is the um, Turbo Graphics built in. The other way. The other way. Yeah. So through the Genesis cable, you get the CXA yeah. version. Do you see a difference in quality? Not really. I mean, the, the and it's composite anyway. Yeah, so. but the composite on Turbo Graphics, I think, is the best composite out of all the retro consoles. And I mean, Steve from HD Retro Vision explained it once. I'm not going to pretend like I understand <laughs> why. I never pretend like I yeah. understand what Steve's talking about. <laughs> yeah, but he explained why why he thinks the composite is so clear as 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 clear as composite can get on Turbo Graphics, right? So hmm. maybe on different consoles with a uh, Sony chip like that, it would make a difference. But I don't think it makes a Big difference on on the turbo graphics the nice thing though is that it gives you multiple outputs you can drive you know many different monitors or maybe like a streaming setup and a CRT at the same time with the graphics booster yeah so because of the way that chip works and because of the way your setup works you could have uh, maybe S video going into a PVM and RGB going into your capture card or vice versa depending on your card and yep. it, uh, it no it does not strain the chip it was designed to work that way yeah so. all those outputs are individually driven so. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and uh, Stone Age Gamer is still selling that, right? I believe they still have stock. Mm -hmm. Now, do you or have you stopped making those? Are they going to be? You know, is there a future for that product? So I'm. Stock is not going to be coming through this shop anymore. Like in the past, all the graphics boosters out there, they came in through this shop. I would plug them in. I would test them, whatnot. Future, what will happen is I'm, I'm going to sell it to them for cheaper, mm -hmm. but I'll just have it shipped from the factory direct to them. And I'll mm -hmm. say, well, here's how you test it, and you know they cost X amount of dollars less because you're going to have you know 96, 97 percent yield. So you know three percent of them are not going to work, and that's just that's how business works. Right? right yeah. Yeah. So you just uh, build yourself a little test rig, you know, get the signals out, and makes sense. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I wish more people would try to adapt to that bottle because it's harder. It's it's really hard to switch everything over and get everybody trained. And but once everything's flowing, now your time is freed up to do cooler stuff. Exactly, so. and that's that's almost where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. uh, so speaking of cooler stuff, the uh, triple bypass. I've been bothering you about that <laughs> since uh, the first time we had a Skype call or something. Yeah. So you want to walk everybody through what that is essentially, and then why we don't have one yet. <laughs> so so the triple bypass is a uh, uh, audio video mod for Genesis and I mean essentially you could use that board for other consoles too really um, <clears throat> so what it'll do is it'll reamplify the RGB signals for from Genesis bypassing the CXA 1145 and all the shitty routing on that board mm -hmm. so giving you nice crystal clear video and it also has a incorporated mega amp in it right so it remixes all the audio mm -hmm. so you don't get clipping on the model twos and whatnot so that's the ace designed audio circuit that um uh, originally designed by ace that makes everything sound as good as like the original model one in its prime um, yeah because all the other revisions of genesis had pretty shitty audio especially yeah. certain boards were really bad I, I did a few tweaks on on the circuit just to mm -hmm. you know to give it my flavor but essentially mm -hmm. yeah you're right it's the ace design um, so where, where that is, I made one revision thus far. We got 10, I got 10 assembled in China. Uh, I installed one in your <laughs> model three, right? It worked. It was great, but we got the connector alignment wrong. So I wanted to move the connector on the bottom of the board. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, uh, my intention for that was always to open source the design and not have, not build or sell any of them on my mm -hmm. own. So the next iteration which uh, is about, I would say, like 75% complete, is going to be done all in KiCad. It's all mm. open source on GitHub. So what will happen is uh, I will make the next one very soon. <laughs> right? Very soon, that's like maybe four months. Uh, and I will just you know, say, here, here are the files, try it out, and take it from there. I don't, want, I don't plan on building more. I don't particularly need one either. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know, we, like, we played Genesis a bit earlier, there's jail bars in there, but I'm... And we this was part of our first conversation on Skype, like, three years ago. I kind of feel a bit nostalgic towards those jail bars because they were always there. It just takes away from the experience for me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to keep them. I'm going to keep my, my system stock. It works RGB, it works with uh, HD retro vintage cables, and I'm perfectly happy with that. And so will so will the triple bypass too. I mean, we make sure that it will it'll have the composite signal, so you mm -hmm. can sync on composite with the HD retrovision. Very cool. But yeah, that's where they are. We don't have one now because uh, I never had any uh, monetary in not in the monetary. I never tried making money off the triple bypass, and I had other things which were bringing in money. So I don't work on that as often as I should, or often as I would like to. And the intent is just to you know, give it away for free and not build anymore. So those are the reasons why I mean, it's not here. It's fair enough, right? You know, you gotta, you gotta pay the bills. You gotta use uh, your income to fund the next thing. So exactly. you can't spend all your time on open source. And coming from you, you're a huge champion of open source stuff. Uh, and you very often put stuff up out there for people to do whatever they want with. Uh, so it's not like, um, there's no hypocrisy here. It's just, no. you know, you're, you put a lot of open source and you, you make your money where you can and then you go back to an open source. So it's as fair as it could possibly get in a, a, a real life scenario. Yeah. You're, you're not some billionaire with all this time on your hands and just <laughs> you know, giving stuff away. I do have a public sector job, but no, I'm not a billionaire. <laughs>
So you mentioned uh, KiCad for design. So can you talk a little bit about the tools that you use both in your design and development as well as you know when you're actually just making these things, the prototypes here? Okay, so for the longest time I was using Protel 99 SE, which is a piece of software designed for Windows 98, right? And I just, I love the hell out of that piece of software for the simple reason that I've been using it for a long time and I'm familiar with it and I know all the keyboard shortcuts and I can work lightning fast in that piece of software. Mm -hmm. And I have a huge library too is, uh, um, I don't go and take library components from anywhere on the web when I want to use a new component on a PCB. Like I'll take the data sheet out and I'll completely redraw the footprint and I'll redraw the symbol and everything's always custom 100% by me because mm -hmm. I have a, like I know what it takes to solder that piece. I know what my skill is. I know what the, 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 you know, the Chinese manual assemblers are because usually a lot of the times I'll start a prototype run with only 10, right? So my PCBs have to be both hand solderable and they need to be stencil friendly as well, right? So I mm -hmm. always like to tweak things a bit, you know, maybe make the pad a bit longer so you can fit the iron in there. So I always do the, uh, the components. That's a very cool myself. way to look at things like that. You approach it from the entire perspective of manufacturing, self-assembly. That is really cool. I'm, yeah, everything I make, I know I'm going to solder it or somebody else will, right? Not a machine. So it has to be friendly for that. Mm -hmm. A lot of library components you'll find out there will be awesome, but they're, you know, they're designed for reflow. So. Uh, where did you learn how to do all this stuff? Are you, is it a combination of schooling and self-taught? Like what's your, can you talk a little bit about your background for that? So, yeah, so obviously I studied electrical engineering, but all the, the bulk of, of your knowledge comes from, bulk of my knowledge, sorry, it comes from a, a job I got in Ottawa for um, a company called Panasys Medical. We did uh, medical uh, contract engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, there I did a lot of FPGA work. I did the, um, the FPGA and PCB design with a software engineer for a uh, DNA analysis machine. We worked a year and a half on that. It was a huge, huge, huge project for only two guys, so that's why it took mm -hmm. so damn long. But uh, so I learned all of my, you know, VHDL there. Didn't really learn much VHDL in school, and no PCB design in school at all. So it was all, you know, just on, on the seat of my pants and learning from you know more experienced engineers that work, you know, do this, do that, and. So your schooling was an electrical engineering degree, but then you kind of you got the skills necessary to learn the next steps, which was the board design, the FPGA, and uh, VHDL language. Uh, is, that, is that proper nomenclature, VHDL language? Or is it just I, I think the L stands for language. For language, yeah, yeah. so it's like a NIC card. It's like so I just sound really stupid yeah. saying that. All right. PIN number. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so what made you go down that path? Like, what, you know, what was your mindset going in? Did you just always a nerd that likes to play with electronics like me and most of us, or...? Yeah, well, you know, the, the simple story I told you yesterday, right, how I, how I bought my first N64, right, is uh, I had bought a Sega Nomad a few months before that, and then I realized, shit, I don't have any more allowance money left to be able to afford the N64 when it comes out, and there's no way I can wait till Christmas. And I had the, uh, well, I guess the good habit of opening things up and looking at them and seeing how they worked. And I recall, um, well, okay, I need to finish the Nomad story. Is uh, So what I did is I, I wanted to return the Nomad to Walmart. They didn't want to take it back unless it wasn't working. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I brought it back home. I opened it. I unplugged the LCD connector. And I closed it back up and I brought it to them and I tried powering it on. And I said, look, the screen's not working. So they gave me back my money. And a few weeks later, I got my N64 and that, that was that. But the thing that, that intrigued me the most is I remember distinctly 
getting a, uh, a screwdriver set for the game bits when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So I opened up Sonic the Hedgehog 1 thinking, I want to see where Sonic is in this thing, right? In, in this thing. So you know, I open the game cartridge up and all I find is this, what, I mean a green card with you know, a black piece of plastic and some legs on it. And I was thinking, where the hell is Sonic in this thing? Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. How does this work? And that, that intrigued me so much from then on that I knew I was going to study something in engineering. And, you know, when it was time to, you know, apply for, you know, for secondary, uh, for not secondary, but when it was time to apply for, for colleges, I said, okay, this, you know, it's electrical engineering and programming and, you know, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to figure out how this stuff works. That's very cool. So technically one of your influences would be Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's a cool story. Um, so you got to this point where now you're, you're writing software and, uh, however you would describe the, the layouts of FPGAs, um, and you started getting into this and what else, I mean, you had to have uh, some other kind of background in board design and getting them manufactured. Was it with that company or was that? Yeah. Yeah. See, we were, yeah, we were, uh, like a turnkey solution for, for customers where they call, they say, we want this design, this PCB. It needs to do this much and a, a lot of the times too because we had a few mechanical engineers in house so we you know we do the enclosures and whatnot so we and because we were such a small team i got to see like every single step of the you know, design for manufacture process mm -hmm. right starting from you know the drawing uh, the layout of the enclosure and then the mechanical engineer telling you well you only get this much space but your circuit is this big too bad this is all you got right so i mean You've got to work within constraints all the time. <clears throat> Working within constraints is sometimes the most inspirational thing you could possibly do. Yeah. You know, it's a, it, give a developer an infinite amount of time and an infinite amount of options. That's, you know, it might never get finished. So it's kind of neat sometimes trying to figure out what, what crazy little, like that scene in the movie Apollo 13 where like, all right, here's everything they have in the spaceship. Let's use this to fix it. Like I, that was my childhood. That's how Scott and I used to get stuff. <laughs> or, you know, we didn't have rich parents. So it was like, all right, here's what we have. Let's wire two speakers together and we'll like, you know, put it under our chair to make a subwoofer. And <laughs> I love stuff like that. Yeah. I, I love making a, a, like a PCB for a game cartridge. And I made a few of them because you start with, a known size, right? You go, the PCB is going in here, the holes are there, this is as big as it gets, this is what you need to work with. I've designed a few boards, like the UMD board, where it's just, it can be any size, and that, that's just a, that's such a weird feeling for me, is I, I, I even start the other way around, where I'm, I'm not going to lay out anything, and I'll decide, this is going to be the size of the board, and I'm going to work within these constraints, because I just, I feel comfortable like that. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So that was definitely a good time to talk about that Teensy cartridge dumper. Um, first of all, a quick little run through of what it does uh, and why you came up with that name. I know why, but I want to hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that Teensy cartridge dumper is essentially, it's in the name, it's a cartridge dumper, but the, uh, the main differentiating feature, differentiating feature of it is uh, interchangeable cartridge adapters, right? So the, the main board itself of the cartridge dumper just has like a generic two large pin headers and then you can insert like a gen Genesis cartridge connector or master system cartridge connector or anyone mm -hmm. that has like 24 bits of address up to 16 bits of data and so on and so on. Um, <clears throat> so it becomes general purpose like that 
And the, the the nice thing about having the connector interchangeable too is that the connector is the thing that's going to suffer wear and tear, and you can easily change it out because the product is designed that way. So it's a board with a USB connector on it, and that does all of the logic. And then you have the basically just the pin mapping adapter boards that allow you to put. What are the consoles that are supported at the moment? Right now, there's Genesis, Master System, Turbo Graphics, uh, Coleco Vision, and uh, working really hard on SNES. Very cool. And it's just for, uh, so you back up your saves, you back up the ROM, and you could also, can you use this to flash cartridges that are uh, writable? Yes, I, I've designed a few uh, flashable cartridges right now for actually all the consoles I mentioned except mm -hmm. for SNES. Um, and I can use the TNZ cartridge dumper, slash writer I guess should be called, mm -hmm. to uh, write ROMs to those devices as well. And uh, TNZ comes from the name of the board, right? Yeah, so instead of, I mean... I could have spent a lot more time on this and put you know, a discrete microcontroller on there and then you know get a USB stack and whatnot. But I, I mean, I was already f pretty familiar with the, um, the Teensy uh, microcontroller devices out there and their USB performance, especially on Linux and Mac, is absolutely phenomenal. There's no way I can do better than a trained software engineer like Paul Strofferigan on there. So I just said, no, fuck it, I'm gonna use a, a Teensy. So it just, you know, there's a pin mapping for the Teensy, hops onto the board, and you know, Bob's your uncle, Bob, and it, they works perfectly, so I'm very happy with that. Makes sense. So where did you learn how to do any of the programming stuff involved in this? We did a bit of, of C programming in school uh, when I was studying electrical engineering. The lots and lots of Motorola assembly, which I mean, good for learning logic, but the assembler itself is not really useful for mm -hmm. any kind of high level, high level programming. Um, lots of the programming I learned, again, by my own at work, uh, especially now the job I have for uh, the school district here is I mainly do, you know, s uh, systems analysis. I do uh, lots of uh, SQL and C-sharp programming, so I'm always, you know, knee-deep into, into programming at work. So it seemed like a, a feasible project for me to do. So you learned the root skills in school, but then the day-to-day -day stuff taught yourself at work afterwards. Yeah, I mean, in school we did one semester of, of C programming, so we got to, like, the most complicated thing we did was like a switch statement, so. It's funny, because I, I always felt like so much of school is learning how to learn. Exactly, yeah. So it's, and then you kind of give you the, the basic skill set and go from there. It certainly was way different with IT, uh, like general day-to-day -day IT, because that changed so much. Uh, when I went to school for it, it was a joke. <laughs> it was like, I was, you know, it was Windows 2000 was out and I was learning the basics of NT, and it's just like, oh man. But, uh, yeah, and what, what you said is completely true. I distinctly remember going for a, a job interview at uh, Research in Motion in 2010 in Canada, and uh, they had a bunch of C-sharp questions, and in that time, I had no idea how to program in C-sharp. I got all the questions wrong, but then during the oral interview, I impressed the manager, and he offered me the job there. And I said, well, you know, I clearly I got, I completely bombed your programming test. He said, no, oh, no, no, that's nothing. You can learn programming, but you can't learn how to be like a good thinker and you know you're the guy we want so you know hop on board and we'll teach you how to program so as the spot on true a lot of the guys i used to hire um didn't come with the necessary skill set and i just knew that they would learn because i just i knew who they were as people so I'd just throw them in and you know hit the ground running you'll figure it out yeah <laughs> so i guess we kind of got to talk about uh flash cart gate a little bit about uh about that and especially want to talk about some of the misconceptions um, and, 
I guess I want to start out by the only, I don't want to say regret, but the only thing that I look back on through that and uh, realize that we probably didn't hit the way we should have um, is a, a large language barrier. So a lot of people coming in, like you're bilingual, um, you know, do you speak French and English? Do you speak a third or is that... No, I speak French and English. Yeah, I barely just speak English, so <laughs> I could be like three quarters of English. Uh, going in, you know, communicating with each other about this, we understood when we were joking, we understood when we were exaggerating, uh, and it's really hard to convey that very often, especially through text. So if you're in front of somebody and you're like, oh my god, it's a million degrees outside, I don't, you know, you could be terrible at English and you would know that I'm not saying it's literally a million degrees, but when you're writing it, uh, those interpretations could always be taken. And, you know, you put a lot of humor in your stuff. So yeah. I think that's really the only thing that I look back on and go, maybe we could have handled that stuff a little bit better. Because it's still to this day when I see people complain, it's very often somebody that has zero clue what we're talking about and then as you see the comments you realize that uh, English is definitely not their first language so I guess in as basic and simple terms as we can go through with well, no sarcasm in it well I, I want to stop <laughs> you there and we should also very you know uh, and you know clearly say that my English is not my first language either and I, I made a few language mistakes in that article as well that I cor corrected afterwards yeah fair enough yeah, fair enough. But like I, I use the word avoid uh, when talking about the the flashcards when and and I corrected it later in a in a in a, in a pre edit and I said well what I really meant was you know use it sparingly right when I when I speak and maybe that's because of French translation is when I say avoid I mean well you know you can sort of do it sometimes right avoid like you should avoid speeding with your car like sure you're gonna speed sometimes but most of the times you shouldn't be speeding right? yeah and that could be interpreted in fact even if english was your first language that could be interpreted many different ways so good 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 point on that one but so can you uh, walk us through in layman's terms the 3.3 volt flash issue for one last time oh yeah that's it the... one the last one this is it this <laughs> is it for all the haters out there yeah so okay what essentially what happens is some uh, multi-carts out there uh, use a lower voltage flash IC on the on the um, on the game cartridge for the simple fact that you can't get high density five volt uh, flash anymore. Mm -hmm. Either it's it's too expensive, or you need to use too many of them in the you know in the area that you're allotted for like a Genesis or an NES uh, PCB. <laughs> so. Um, unacquainted designers just cheap out and they go for a 3.3 volt flash instead and it's it sort of works right 99% mm -hmm. of the time it's going to work but it's putting you know it's putting strain uh both on the device itself on the pcb and on the cartridge and on the console sorry uh which wouldn't happen in a regular 5 point volt a uh, 5 volt uh, flash but when you say strain what exactly is the strain that's being put on it so what happens is, is and, and I made a, a YouTube video on this, maybe we should direct people towards that. I, I made like a, a whiteboard video describing I saw, but it was. Was still, it was still over my head a little bit. So I'm going to keep you down to Bob level here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, heat tolerance, is it, it's not really that at the end of the day, right? No, what, what happens is, I mean, when, when the cartridge, when the console is reading from the cartridge, everything's completely fine. Most of these older consoles will happily interpret the 3.3 volt logic high coming from the cartridge as a logic high even though it's not 
five volts because that's there's you know there's tolerance levels in in those logic levels so that's completely fine and zero and zero uh, logic low is completely fine too because there's no difference there the problem is is when the cartridge when the console is doing internal reads and writes to other five volt devices that are trying to drive the data bus and the address bus with five volts now at that point because the flash I see on the cartridge is only driven by 3.3, uh, there's a, um, a ESD diode path to a 3.3 volt regulator from 5 volts being driven on the data bus, right? So we're essentially, you know, shorting two, well, not two con contacts, but you're you're driving current into the flash I see, and you shouldn't be doing that, right? And that's, that could have the effect of either A, making the, the flash IC a bit warmer than it should. Uh, you could be raising the 3.3 volt rail on the flash IC, depending if it's a shunting regulator or not. And um, the other thing to consider is, and that's probably the least of the worries, is um, the actual console itself driving that extra current into uh, the cartridge, into the 3.3 volt flash IC, right? Was it designed to drive that much current? Some of these devices, like if you open up a Sega Genesis, there's a custom Sega chip and another custom Sega chip, and they're the ones who are driving the extra current if you're putting like a cheap multi-card in there. And there's not really any data sheets on that. So, I mean, you can you can throw out JDEC numbers and say, well, it was designed to TTL, but who knows, right? So do you want to, do you want to be, you want to play safe or do you want to throw random specs at it and say it was designed to this? So I, you know, I'd rather play it safe and say that 3.3 volt multi-carts uh, is a bad design and you shouldn't do that. So to, to break it down, cause the other thing that people were very all, all the time where it was the mixing up, um, a, a flash card that's generally well-built, but uses 3.3 volts. Um, if, if there is going to be an issue, it sounds like, first and foremost, the card itself would wear down faster than it could have, which it's a brand new device. It probably means 20, 30 years, you know, it's fine. In my opinion, it's totally cool. It's not, you know, we could buy another one. Um, and there's a small chance that you might be putting strain on unfixable components on the console itself. But overall, especially, I mean, I'm going to talk out of turn here. I'm probably not smart enough to say this, but just seeing all of the different motherboard revisions and chip revisions that Sega had, um, they're, they're either probably built with a, a wider spec in mind or not really built well at all. <laughs> so there's so many mistakes on those boards that yeah. even myself, a beginner, can pick out. So, you know, it's one of those roll of the dice things. But there are, uh, when you say multi-carts, like some of the 101, the 161 and one carts that are designed badly. Yeah, like, those there's are no gray area. It's a badly designed cart. Yeah, that's that's black on white, terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's just no uh <clears throat> so can you give us an example? Is it missing proper ESD protection? Is it just 5 volts going directly into it? Like what you know, what is the difference between a well-built cart that just uses a different voltage versus one of those awful carts? So those awful carts just have a they have, they'll have a voltage regulator on it, 3.3 volt voltage regulator, 3.3 volt flash IC sitting directly on the 5 volt bus. That's the worst case you can have. Hmm. Because this, this creates the condition of having a 5 volt signal on the bus during internal memory reads and writes that's being clamped by the 3.3 volt flash IC. That's the, that's the scenario we're trying to avoid, right? There's, there are uh, lesser evil scenarios where they'll use a 3.3 volt flash IC but 
they'll power it off of five volts. Mm -hmm. So now you're definitely putting a lot of strain, but only onto the flash device itself, right? The console doesn't see any difference because it's you know driving five volts everywhere. It's just the the you know the internal structure of that flash IC was not designed for five volts. It was designed for 3.3. So have you actually seen consoles die as a result of using those NES or Neo Geo carts? I've, I've heard of hearsay of uh, some friends in Quebec saying that they bought a, like a 401, the red cart that was mm -hmm. available on AliExpress like a year or so ago, that they put this in a top loader and the, the top loader fried. Never happened to me, but I don't own one of those things. So. And, and I don't want to put one in my top loader because those are getting expensive, right? So I wouldn't, right. that's not something I want to test. I mean, I know this is just opinion, right? But my personal opinion is that I would never use one of the Nest ones because the Power Pack and the EverDrive N8 are, are so cheap compared to what it would cost to buy one of those and then break your console. Yeah. I wouldn't, I would just, if I had one of the multi-cart Nintendo ones, I'd throw it out, give it away, whatever. I wouldn't even bother. But the other side of that is, while the Neo Geo flash carts are, are reasonably priced for what they are, they're still very expensive. So those 161 and one Neo Geo carts, you could still get for like 100 bucks-ish. Um, is there a way that you could r repair those specifically? So I'm not talking about all 3.3 volt carts, but those uh, Neo Geo multis, isn't there a way to change some components on there so it's not nearly as dangerous? Uh, well, I've seen... I there's a Gadget UK guy that does videos mm -hmm. on YouTube that he's showing different methods of driving uh, the voltage rail on the Neo Geo multi-carts to, to, you know, to raise the voltage up a bit higher. So not too high that you're damaging the flash ICs, mm -hmm. but not too low so that you're putting a strain on, on, the, on the console itself. Too, right? So there's kind of a middle ground to play with here. And it does improve performance of some of the games, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in his videos, he shows like as he's changing the uh, the voltage of those flash ICs that some games uh, work better. Some games wouldn't work at all yeah. before. Now we change it and they work. So yeah. So on Neo Neo Geo is definitely a, a console where you see a lot of effects mm -hmm. uh, depending on if you're using the correct voltage or not. Yeah. So that's I mean, it's like the chicken and the egg, right? So you have this very expensive console, and you don't want to spend as much money because you you already spent all that money on the console. So do you risk taking one of those 161 and one carts, doing the, the voltage fixes on them, and then putting it in that very expensive console? And uh, I mean, I don't know that I would. I think I would personally rather get a flash cart, but I know a lot of people that have uh, have done the voltage mod and feel comfortable. So that's really yeah. up to you. But. I bought one of those 161s and ones. Mm -hmm. I haven't opened it up mm -hmm. and I haven't plugged it into my console. I'm kind of afraid, but I, w I do want to try to run it with a higher voltage and just see you should definitely make a video on that if yeah. you do it. I think that would be pretty neat. Um, so how did you feel about all of the misinterpretations on things and people, um, people's reactions to that? I guess, I guess there's, there's two prongs to that. Is, is number one, I expected you know, this, the same amount of people to read that article as all of my previous blog posts, right? Like a couple of hundred maybe, just my friends and, and maybe people some... People in the yeah, scene, yeah. Yeah, random people. But... It blew up, and I mean, sure, I'm fine with that. I don't mind the exposure, uh, but I wasn't surprised by the um, the lack of understanding because it's not it's not a simple problem, and you can't just say in simple terms, I used a multi cart in my system, and it didn't blow up my system. Therefore, multi carts are fine. That's you know, it's completely 
bad, a wrong argument to make, right? Yeah, so it's funny, once again, wording and interpretation. I, I think Phone Dork said something like, eh, I've been using mine for years and it's not, not dead yet, fuck it, I'll, I'll risk it. 100% on board. But what he just said was, I so far have had good luck and I think it's worth the risk. Fuck it. Yeah. 100% on board. The opposite is what people, you know, like, my console's still working, that means you're wrong and you're lying and you're, and it just, it cracked me up how many people were saying that and it just kind of blew my mind. Yeah, that's right. I too can prove all my biases with a sample set of one, but... <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, we made... Uh, I think one of the things that was really, uh, I don't want to use the word offensive because it's hard for me to get offended, but I, I guess one of the things that bugged me, and this is my opinion, so don't blame Renee for this or anything, <laughs> is that uh, Crix decided that he was going to have a moderator on his forum that very barely speaks English. So I have an easy time talking to you about this because you're bilingual and you know you could tell your opinion so I don't just sound like that idiot American that's like, speak English America, like, you know. <laughs> But I, it's just, it's my strong opinion that if you're going to run a forum and you're going to be the moderator on something like this, either your English should be perfect or know that you have shit English and just be polite because don't get into an argument when you really don't actually know what you're arguing about. And I think that one moderator, to this day, he still posts horrible things about both of us. And then I, I think I made a comment the other day, like, and he responded to me. He, this guy definitely doesn't speak English in his, <laughs> in his response. And I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm just saying that as now you have somebody on Crix's own forums who's arguing things that he just doesn't understand at all. So now there's all these people who, who just spent their hard-earned money on a flash cart that's probably fine, and that you even said is probably fine, who are just pissed because now there's uh, everybody's getting riled up. Like, you know, <laughs> don't tell me I spent my money on something bad. Screw you, bald man. Like, you know, and it, it just, you know, that stuff did kind of bother me. I mean, did that ever annoy you, or are you just like, fuck them, whatever? Uh, I mean, I could really care less about people's opinion about me online. And, I mean, so here, here. <laughs> I have a Mega Everdrive. I use it. I like it. Yeah. I don't use it all the time. If I like a game, I'm going to go and buy it. Yeah. As you can see, I mean, all the games I like, I go and buy. Um, and, and my opinion on that is, I mean, my opinion on, on people saying bad stuff about me and you or whatever on this, uh, on this Crix forum, which I really don't frequent, and mm -hmm. I don't frequent any other forums, by the way, is if somebody's willing to spend time and negative energy on trying to insult me or trying to diss me or trying to discredit what I've said and what you know other engineers have completely agreed with. Fine, waste your time doing that. I'm not gonna waste my time replying, right? I've got better things to do. What about the other side of that though? What about um what about the people spreading the misinformation on the technical side, not even a personal side of things? That that bugs me way more. Like, somebody making fun of me, barely even... It, the only thing about it that bothers me is that it wasn't true, which is a weird ego thing. If somebody's <laughs> like, Bob, you're fat, I'd be like, I am, I like donuts, fuck off. But, like, it was, you know, when somebody says something wrong, that does kind of get me a little bit because it's not the truth. But the technical side is what really bothered me. All the people just, you know, trying to trying to explain things with logic that doesn't exist. You know what I mean? That, yeah, that bothers me a bit. I mean, I think... I mean, I, I simplified a lot of the concepts in the article, and some people pointed out, said, oh, well, you know, you did this and this, and your model's wrong. It's like, well, I know, I know it kind of is, but I was trying to... I, I write articles 
that I want uh, non-engineers to understand, right? So that's why I, I simplified the model. Um, but am, am I going to spend more time explaining it? No. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did, I did an article on it, and then I did a video in, in greater detail, and I even showed some scope captures of it happening. I mean, there's, there's, there's no question that this, this is happening. And I mean, I even did it on this Mega EverDrive, uh, which I still use. I mean, my Genesis is still fine. It's not going to die. If it does die, I got like a stack over there, <laughs> right? So I'm just gonna yeah. put another one in, then that's it. Like you said, like Fondork said, I think for uh, trying out games, seeing which ones I like, it's worth the risk. Even if the risk is very, very minimal, there's still, we can't ignore that there is a risk. I mean, I, I, I try to keep, I try to only use my ROM cart just because dude, I don't have any space to, to keep most of my games anymore. Um, uh, but I, I've decided that even if this does shorten the lifespan of the console, uh, I luckily Genesis consoles are cheap enough where I think I would be able to find a few that have different issues where, you know, 25 years from now when I go back to play Sonic the Hedgehog, a couple of consoles that had died for completely different reasons, I could swap some parts around and make it and, and salvage it. So I don't really, I don't, th I, I do not expect this to kill my console, but if it does, I think it was a... Because of the the cost of it, it's a risk to reward factor. It's not like it's a super graphics or something that's mega expensive and rare. Well, twenty five years from now, there's also going to be a mega NT. Yeah, we're we're over the <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the, I, I really enjoyed that video we did where it was every every technical thing that we said in that video was true, but it was basically us just making fun of all those people and acting like idiots, and it. Uh, I know that made me that made me laugh a lot. A lot of people mis misunderstood that completely. Uh, so it's like all humor. People will always misunderstand it. Yeah, I don't regret doing that. Uh, we we could have we could have been a little clearer about uh, uh, about what we were joking at and what we were we were serious. But that one did make me laugh, and I think it had I think it had the correct response because I was really expecting um, I was expecting a wave uh, of people who did videos talking about how flash carts will kill your consoles. And the only unfortunate part is the one guy that did, uh, Sean, RGT, uh, <laughs> you were a little hard on him. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if there was ever one to, ever a person to take one for the team in that situation, he was the perfect guy. Because he has that total attitude of like, hey, sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, don't really care, you know, on to the next, which was awesome. He was, yeah. and that's how we met him anyway. So I didn't know him before that. I thought he was a very awesome dude. But uh, I think... You know, maybe he got a little too much hate <laughs> from you from that, but because of that, I think a lot of the other bigger YouTubers caught wind of that and were like, I don't want to fucking deal with this. Let's let that go. And I think that's, you know, he had to, you took one for the team and all the hate that you got, and he took one for the team as well, and it ended up being the right thing to do because that would have been a nightmare if a bunch of the popular YouTubers went on and started talking about the wrong technical yeah. analysis of things, and he'd get a bunch of people... Uh, yeah, I mean that—that's the worst thing that could happen. So, th thanks, Sean, for, for taking one for the team. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think I got—I I got that argument with uh, with RGT85, thinking that you know this this guy's probably a really cool guy in person, right? Yeah. And and like you said, he was a he was a good sport about it, and we and every once in a while, we, I, well, maybe not lately, but kind of poke fun at him back again, and he's taken it completely well and he's, you know he would turn it around and make another joke and yeah i thought that was awesome so. yeah absolutely yeah he it uh there's no 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 bitter offense in any of that now you just two people joking around with each other on twitter so 
That's cool. I'm glad that one had a good ending. I'm glad the whole thing had a good ending. Flash cart gate, anything with Sean. I just, uh, you know, I, I really wish the whole Crick side of things were different. I wish he would have been able to to control the people on his forum a little bit better, and I wish his response was more confident. You know, because his response was basically, his first response was like, we've never had any complaints about a console dying. Well, why would anybody complain to him if their console died? It's not like they put it in, It's it, unless there was a flaw in that one specific cart. Uh, you're not going to put this thing into a cartridge or in a console, turn it on, and have it explode like mm -hmm. I like I did in the video. Like that's not it would never happen. So that wasn't like a real life. <laughs> I was sure it was. So I mean, even if somebody's console did die, how would they ever have known it was the flash cart? Why? How, why would they not have thought it was just an old console? So yeah. maybe it hasn't happened. I mean, I don't. I mean, it just it probably hasn't. Yeah. But I just was really hoping for a more technical and confident response from Crix from that, you know, something like, well, no, here's the data, and, you know, it might put strain on the cart, but not really on the console, and, you know, whatever, I just, that's not what we got. I mean, maybe that is a language barrier, which is, you know, like, understandable, and I wish, wish it was easier to deal with, and stuff like that, but, well, I guess this is a good time to ask, uh, when is the next time you're going to break the internet, and what's it going to be about this time? <laughs> <laughs> are you going to tell me, like, my controllers are killing the environment, or, like, uh, my power supplies are, you know, uh, killing killing birds, or, like, what's uh, what's the next break the internet story? Your BVMs are killing your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the Shocking BVM pictures yeah. your wife doesn't want you to see. <laughs> <laughs> we should title this video that. <laughs> Another misunderstood satire. Oh, well. Uh, but I mean, what is what is the next step for you? Because you've gone through, I mean, you've you've hit a lot of open source stuff. Just to name a few, you did the um, uh, the Nest multi out SNES multi out connector, both the three D printed design and the board. Mm -hmm. Which uh, could you remind everybody uh, what is the proper manufacturing for those? It's not tin. <laughs> <laughs> Get everything hassle. No uh, connectors need to be gold plated. Gold plated. Yeah, and, and then beveled. Yeah, beveled. Um, and, and gold plating too is some, some PCB shops will claim to have gold plating, but you need to ask what the thickness of it is. Mm -hmm. And proper hard gold plating is uh, 30 micrometers, if I'm not mistaken. Like you can look up the spec, but it's definitely mm -hmm. not Enig thickness, which is one or two micrometers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I mean, Enig is still is a good plating uh, to prevent corrosion, but it's not mechanically strong. It's not thick enough. It'll, it'll scratch out eventually. Okay. So then that's all, but you list that right there on your site. So you remind people that this is what you're supposed to get. Yeah, and I have an article on the different types of PCB platings and, and mm -hmm. why you sh in which scenario you should use one versus the other. So you got your open source designs, uh, you have the Teensy Cartridge Jumper, uh, and uh, do you have stuff coming out this year? Any partnerships you're allowed to talk about at the moment? Or um, Yeah, yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's a few PCB designs I made for uh, game releases, uh, Tanglewood, which mm -hmm. I mean people might be just able to see on the PVM behind you. Uh, I designed the PCB for that. That's uh, being manufactured right now. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're going to have a few test units come back here. I'm going to do a, um, a proper test and validation procedure for the factory as soon as these boards come in. And I'm expecting them any day, actually. Um, tomorrow's Monday, so I'm <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that'll come in. Uh, Matt will be very happy if that happens. Um, but yeah, those are really, really near uh, production level. 
And um, so, just to break it down, okay. uh, you you designed a Genesis cartridge PCB, uh, designed uh, with the proper voltage components on it, uh, and then a reprogrammable chip so that you could, uh, from the factory, would be able to flash this game on it. So you essentially designed a Genesis uh, PCB and components from scratch. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, it was custom for Matt too because he wanted. Well, his is not a flash. I mean, so one of his uh, requests... Yeah, it's not going to be reprogrammable. You no. Have to, yeah, single yeah. just like every other Genesis cart from the store. Yeah, one of his requests is that he wanted it to be as close as possible to an original Genesis release. He wanted it to feel as heavy as it would because a, a new flash cart like the one I have in there, uh, which is for another customer, uh, doesn't feel heavy. Mm -hmm. It's reprogrammable. So someone could theoretically buy that game buy my uh, UMD um, Teensy cartridge uh, reader writer mm -hmm. erase the game and put something else on it but I mean oh, yeah we're, we're, yeah we're getting we're getting far-fetched now but still it's not an official yeah. feeling cart then because you can't reprogram Sonic the Hedgehog with Sonic 2 so exactly. why would you be able to do that with anything else yeah and also I mean the, the, we were able to keep the cost a bit lower because of that too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, another one I'm making uh, and I'm allowed to talk about is uh, Xenocrisis for Bitmap Bureau and the, you know the PCB running um, Tanglewood right now is actually the Bitmap Bureau uh, board because that one's built on Flash and it's reprogrammable. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so not not the one sending to customers. The one this this one that we actually have on behind us. That one is running on the reprogrammable Flash card. Yeah. So, so that's the, okay. I mean that has the Bitmap Bureau uh, logo on it. Mm -hmm. That's using uh, 3.3 volt Flash behind level translators so it's completely safe right okay so it's it's a bit more expensive than the tanglewood solution but it's also much more scalable <clears throat> so the problem with the tanglewood solution is that the factory has to burn the binary mm -hmm. and uh we're really nervous about them swapping the endianness of the file so you know that's why that's why i have the factory send me a few samples i'll confirm that they didn't fuck with the binary mm -hmm. and uh, then i'll tell them you know go ahead but with the bitmap bureau board and with you know potentially other genesis releases if other people or other companies want to use this is they can stock up on empty and blank yeah. flash cartridges and uh, work on their binary as as long as they want mm -hmm. and they can even change it at the very last minute and just reflash all the games i mean it, it is going to take a, a long time to reflash the games but it's an option right they're not stuck with a one-time programmable yeah, minimum PCB. order quantities is something that uh, anybody that's been in any kind of manufacturing at all knows how important that is, because there's always minimum numbers, and it's very often that things change drastically when you hit certain numbers. So, you know, 50, 100, 500, um, then you hit 1,000, and it's almost cheaper to buy 1,000 than 500 if you factor in everything involved. Yeah. So if you're able to buy 1,000 PCBs, you know, 1,000 Genesis blank cartridges, 1,000 uh, plastic molds for them, and uh, then just reprint the stickers and reflash it as necessary, like that's, that completely makes sense. So that, that is a good business model for people that have a couple of games and uh, you know, might not be comfortable doing a pre-order. Especially in the the climate now, with everybody doing these game pre-orders, and then four years later they come out, and you know it's just maybe it's safer to just release it. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's a that's you know it's, I like both I like both options. I like the people, you know, that have 
now there's an ability to do an all official style Genesis cart, or just you know do it the the safer way, but still have the end user have the same experience. You still have one cartridge that you're plugging in with the artwork on it and everything else. Yeah, and the console doesn't know the difference between either solution, right? I think that's mm -hmm. important to to mention. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. So the, yeah. the console and the way it reacts is identical in every way. So, and yeah. you could even use those on. Uh, I please don't, but you could even use it on like the Retron 5 or something. So things that uh, that pull down the ROM and play it in memory, uh, you could still use it because it's officially you're acting like a single cartridge Genesis game, not a multi-cart. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Matt's been very adamant on testing every single variant of the Genesis and Genesis clones that are out there, mm -hmm. and he's you know he's found a lot of useful information that he's published along the way as well too. So mm -hmm. those those cartridges, I think, have even greater support than some original Genesis games. That's pretty cool. So I think uh, we covered all ground. Did I miss anything? Was there any other projects that you've done that you want to talk about that uh, you know that you haven't talked about? Was there anything I forgot to ask? I mean. I think the only thing, I think the only thing that I uh, I normally would want to ask is: Is there any secret tool that you have? Anything that any go-to item that you always use daily? Um, I think you already said your little magnifying visor, but other than that, I guess is there any other like you couldn't do your day job without it type of thing? Maybe I mean, maybe just the the um, the, the tweezers yesterday. Like the, the capacitance and inductance measuring tweezers. Oh yeah, I'll get video of that. So it's, it's tweezers with a digital thing at the end where when you touch the ends of capacitors, it tells you its capacitance. And uh, uh, how would that, for a beginner, how would you be able to tell that a cap is bad? And can you do it in line? Can you put it right on the board and touch it? Well, when you're, when you're measuring a cap on the board, you have to remember that you're measuring everything that's... On both sides of it. Yeah, yeah. So if this cap is, par is in parallel with other caps, then you're definitely measuring all of those at the same time too, right? So for in-circuit measurements, they're, they're much more useful for uh, resistors. Okay. Uh, but if you know what you're doing, you can use them on on a, on a soldered PCB, yeah. But for your average person that just says, hey, I want to see if my Genesis caps are good, you'd have to remove the cap, touch it with these tweezers, and then uh, measure it and either put it back in or swap it out. That's definitely, yeah, that's definitely the, the more accurate way of doing it. But the, the, the reason why the, the tweezers are so useful is because you can quickly do spot checks on you know, 0805, 0603 components mm -hmm. without having you know, two giant probes everywhere. Yeah. Right? And it leaves you one hand free, right? So you can you know, reference a schematic and just go bang, 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 bang. Like yeah, this, or, right? or hold it with tweezers and then clip the, th clip the ends of this to get the measurement. And then essentially, if it's, not, uh, if it's not the reading that that component should be, it's bad. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's easy enough. Huh. Oh, yeah, I'll definitely show a video of that and maybe try to link to one as well for anybody interested. They, yeah, they can they can get pretty cheap. I think I got mine on eBay for maybe fifteen bucks. Or you can obviously yeah. spend more money on it, but you know, it depends on. Maybe beginners shouldn't spend more money than that. So. That's a worthy purchase. Then I guess for somebody that doesn't want to remove components, if you have a known good console and a bad console, you could just start, you know, well, I think it might be power related. So you could take your good console and make some measurements. And yes, it's 20% tolerance and, you know, yes, it's <laughs> aging. But, you know, if you have something where you measure it and you have a reading of uh, 22 and you put it on the bad console and you have a reading of 5, then you know it's definitely bad. And, you know, so... Yeah, that, that's yeah. a helpful thing. I think that's something I should really start to practice on as well. <laughs> and what you just said is is the best troubleshooting uh, strategy that I use for you know my some of my analog circuits like Graphics Booster. Like mm -hmm. I have a known good unit that I reference all the time, 
And when I'm testing units and a bad one shows up, I just I use a tweezer and I'll do comparisons between both until I land on. Because usually the, the failure is just related to you know the assembler at the factory having put the wrong value resistor capacitor in the wrong spot. Hmm, that's pretty cool. So you just you know compare a known good unit to a bad unit until you find the, the discrepancy. Now I'm gonna go broke from all you guys telling me all these uh, new must-have tools. That sounds awesome. I'm definitely gonna pick one up though. I'll just get the cheap $15 one on eBay to start. See if I need anything more than that. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we covered all ground. Um, I mean, just thank you for having me over. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for all the open source work that you you donate to the whole community. More will come. Thank you for starting hilarious drama sometimes with the uh, with your your. Evil flashcard attacks. <laughs> Hopefully more will come. No, I mean, I, it was not my intention, but I did have fun when fun was merited. So. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, thanks again, and we'll see you guys next time.